You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another live program here on Voice of Islam radio station. Um, we are delighted to be live with you, uh, our listeners. Uh, as you know, we are always. Um, you know, uh, presenting from Monday to uh, Friday, drive time show between 4 and 6 p.m. And we always, or normally always, have two topics of discussion during these hours. Today you're joined by myself, Safir, and uh, Saad uh, in the studio. Asalaamu Alaikum, Saad. How are you? Asalaamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. It's really good to be back after no? a short break. Yes, short break. You were on holiday. Yes. How was your holiday? Alhamdulillah, it was really good. Got married during my holidays. Oh, you got married? <laughs> yes. Uh, congratulations. Exactly. Uh, may Allah bless you and uh, your uh, your your wife as well and uh, both families. So you your uh, you you got married here in the UK? Yes, got married here in the UK. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Well, uh, we pray for for Saad. Uh, of exactly. course, uh, I'm not going to go into detail of of uh, uh, of uh, your uh, uh, how you spent your holiday, but we're going to go to our uh, look at how our program uh, is today and what our topics are. So now that you've had a nice break, um, the topics today. Uh, first one, uh, Saad, we're looking at the prevent review, and then after that, uh, we're looking at refugees. So. How do you feel about the topics? Now, these topics are you know, really close being from a migrant family myself. Obviously, these topics do come close to my heart and being from a Muslim background. Mm. So they interlink with, 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 each other, with, with each other. And, you know, when we talk about the prevent program especially and how um, Islam is being um, viewed in that very topic. And this is the thing, you know, I will also ask my listeners today if they have any opinion or anything they want to share with us yeah. to contact us on 0208-687878 or they can always tweet us on Voice of Islam UK and let us know their opinion on what they believe or what they feel about the PREVENT program. Absolutely. Uh, we'll have some uh, nice, uh, uh, you know, discussion today, uh, interesting discussion. So we... Hope to get more of your views. And as uh, Saad reminded us, uh, the number to call is 0208-687-7878. And you can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK. You can send in your comments. And we have, obviously, all the discussion and our topics uh, uh, on Instagram as well. So if you want to have a look, uh, go on there, Voice of Islam UK. You'll find everything that is being discussed over there as well. Now, the prevent review, which uh, we're going to start start this hour with, uh, the prevent review has, you know, divided people on two sides of the fence, you could mm-hmm. say. Um, either that the review is riddled with anti-Muslim bias or prejudice, or as the Home Secretary would have it, that political correctness is a bar- barrier to flagging the real number of so-called, uh, and I say so-called, Islamist terror threats. Um, 
if we look at the verse of the Holy Quran, actually, to just give us a little bit of guidance uh, in terms of uh, what Islam is all about, because, you know, I really have an issue with whenever, uh, you know, uh, the the rhetoric or the language that's been used in media, mm-hmm. especially in regards to extremism, terrorism. There's always that that word that easily is, is, is you know, just casually put in there, Islamist, you know. Yes. So it is, for us as Muslims, it's disturbing because it's not right, right? There's no Islamic mm-hmm. terrorism because yes. Islam, you know, actually condemns terrorism and extremism. So how can you even link that to Islam? Well, they say because there are Muslims who do that, some people who call themselves Muslims or they find... Right. But again, when you connect these two things, again, we have talked about this before as well, that that subconsciously and in the minds of people automatically make them make connections between Islam as a religion and extremist, uh, you know. You know, uh, when you just mentioned the word Islam so many times, you know, it's so funny that Islam actually means peace. Yeah. So where you link a peaceful religion to something which is really extreme, and where the Holy Quran is mentioning that there is no compulsion in religion, like Raf al-Din. And when you link those two together with ex- extremism, this is like a two, um, two opposite sides yeah. of, um, of a book. Absolutely. And that's where the lack of uh, education or lack of understanding, perhaps, uh, uh, is, is an issue there mm-hmm. when obviously people in the West, uh, you know, just, just casually, or maybe it's it's even a, you know, uh, some kind of agenda behind that as well to to link those and misguide people. However, in the Holy Quran, we read in chapter 59, verse 23, among the attributes of God, the Holy Quran mentions that he is the source of peace and the bestower of security. Then we also read the establishment of peace and maintenance of security must therefore be a constant objective of all Muslims and non-Muslims alike. Every pursuit Every pursuit and activity which disturbs peace is severely condemned in Islam. And we find specific injunctions in the Holy Quran where we read uh, these different chapters, uh, chapter 7, chapter 11 and chapter 29, that create not disorder in the earth after it has been set in order. La, uh, you know, la, la, uh, uh, the Arabic... Uh, can't remember the Arabic now, but it's it was in my mind, and then it just <laughs> went. Um, but yeah, exactly. The, the 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 translation of that is that, that do not create uh, disorder in the land after it has been set in order. Now, let's look at the preventive view. Let's look at the discussion we are having on this topic uh, and why we're discussing it. Uh, Saad, if we can look at what terrorism is. Why does terrorism occur, and and what is it that uh, you know the uh, the law and and the UK government actually uh, look at it, and and how has have they you know broken it down? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you know there's a there's a terrorism act 2000, mm. which defines terrorism both in and outside of the UK as the use or threat of one or more of their violent actions, and where they are designed to influence the government or an international government organization or to intimidate the public. So, you know, there are different people um, uh, become terrorists for various causes in various um, capacities. Uh, there's a differentiation of, of between motives for joining, remaining in and leaving terrorist 
organizations may be useful. You know, um, um, Sufi, just I just remembered. You know, mm. when we start the Holy Quran, of we always, always say, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. So uh, when we when we are reciting these words, the Gracious, the Merciful, how does it link with terrorism? You know, that's, that's a question to the audience out there. If we, when we start off the Holy Quran every single time as a Muslim, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, the Most Gracious, the Merciful. So how does this link with terrorism any questions yeah. or any ideas you have how it links yeah. please let us know and share us your ideas with us that this is how it actually links yeah. so then we can we can understand okay this is what's happening behind it also but obviously when you when we look into terrorism that's um really important you know there's one thing for example when a mass refugee happens and it disturbs the local area and then what happens is that the locals become um racist uh, as, as as to say and then some do um get um, taken over by extremists to you know um uh, make them uh, extremists themselves or make them ed- or educate them in, in such a way that say okay this is what you have to actually learn so scare uh, re- them in a way that scare them, yes. these people are a threat radicalize them yeah, so that's the what I was looking them, yes. radicalize when these couple of um a handful people they they spread the terror around them and then they say okay this is in the name of in that religion and this is what causes terrorism especially in, in the when when someone says in the name of or in the cause of religion when someone has migrated or someone has gone somewhere or they have been hit by something then the, the extremist groups pick them up and radicalize them and then send them back down again in the interfield and then this is how usually this happens you know this is you know very um scary at the same time because um, being from a muslim background imagine being um throwing racism um left right and center Obviously, the uk is peaceful uh, and uh, i've been born uh, i've been brought up here born in germany being brought up in uk uh, i've i haven't faced racism as such okay there's like a couple of name callings a few years back or something but now where where the world has become a global village so you can just travel left right and center and you have all these connections there so the um racism has tamed a bit in my opinion but obviously it's still widely spread throughout the world mm. if you if you just take out in, in america you have racism there be it against um from african background or some religious backgrounds you know they have their differences there mm. also but r- radicalization is the fundamental thing which we have to stop and co- um, um Um, uprooted from its roots so that a peaceful society can be formed mm. yep no i mean different people become terrorists for various causes uh, and in various cap- capacities as yes. well uh, so differentiating between motives for joining remaining in and leaving terrorist organizations uh, is is obviously also important um according to research carried out by professor uh Angel Gomez and his partners focusing on why people enter and embrace violent groups there are two pathways that lead to people joining such groups according to their research uh one is compliance as well as internalization now compliance takes place when people are made to join these groups by powerful people leaders right or people who can manipulate who have great influence on people they suck them into these groups as you were talking about right mm-hmm. radicalization Now internalization this takes place when due to perceived familiarity between themselves and the group they 
might be similar thinking mm -hmm. there between the individuals and the group and that makes them you know join together as a group and uh, they become part of that uh, you know that 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 group now professor gomez and his colleagues uh, investigated the findings of previous research and even though it can help them radicalization does not always result in violence or terrorism so it's not always the case that if some people with extreme way of thinking mm -hmm. are joining some people or they are getting influenced by other people that they always that this case th these cases always result in um extremist incidents it doesn't always right there are also people who are part of that group or they are might be influenced for a certain time but they then get over that or come out of that it also happens mm -hmm. so that's what the um study or the research shows in fact prior research also suggests that participation in religious activities which is thought to strengthen coalitional commitment is a stronger predictor of support for suicide attacks than religious devotion this statement in itself should be enough to combat views that a religion is at fault here when terrorist groups are found in all parts of the world who claim to be speaking on behalf of the group of people mm -hmm. Ku Klux Klan and many others are just example yet no one should believe that Ku Klux Klan is the true you know face of Christianity not only does it not make sense i mean it it risks us missing important threats around the world so radical world views are just one of many possible reasons why people join violent terrorist organizations um which defines radicalization as the process of developing extremist ideologies and beliefs considering these distinctions so yes on one part on or in one way uh you know we talked about these two ways that people um uh compliance so when people join uh groups which have been inspired by powerful people so they join them and internal internalization which uh you know groups that uh, or people that think like or share the same ideas and as a certain group will join but it does not matter i mean it does not mean that that would lead to uh a radicalization or it will lead to uh, a serious incident so that depends really on the events that follow after that now that we have discussed that uh, as opposed to actual extremists extremist acts with professor borom in a previous research refers to it as action pathways or the process of engaging in terrorism or violent extremist actions um this development of ideology is uh, conceptually distinct from actual extremist actions the reasons that led former terrorists to join and support terrorist group in the first place are what are currently focusing on not the adoption of extremist ide ideologies per se but the 3n model in these researches identifies three general factors that influence people's decision to join violent groups need narrative and network This viewpoint holds that belonging to a group can satiate fundamental needs like the desire to feel respected and valued by others. And so in the beginning you were talking about, you know, how they these uh, individuals are brainwashed and yes. you know they are uh, radicalized and then they are you know sent out to do certain, you know, violent actions and uh, this this aspect of it is also very important that why do they do that the need for doing that meaning that they need 
some sort of thing to or some sort of community or some sort of you know I won't call it community because community is mostly used in a positive way yes. but they need some kind of a group uh, or something yeah a group of something to join or they need some kind of uh, you know they they may be lonely mm-hmm. they might need some uh, something to uh, attach to um and then again the narratives are something that attracts them whether it's you know excitement you know um something that they can say that all oh, this really cool um of course that's also how many people from UK were radicalized and and they traveled to Syria and Iraq to fight mm-hmm. part of ISIS so um and then also the network um that we, we have also seen how there were people uh working uh, to smuggle people working to uh, you know uh, um arrange for people to come and join correct and in many of obviously there's been lots of uh, talks about that but there's also been you know several agents who have been uh members or or employed by um uh, western agencies mm-hmm. even to radicalize people so that shows you that there is a vast network issue as well and problems in that way as well that uh, attracts uh, people to do these things but need again is a very important thing that for example in poorer countries in um in in countries where uh people might might be struggling to put food on the table for their families Correct. you know for these extremist organizations or powerful uh, you know leaders uh, who have vested interest um hate preachers for them the wealth is not a problem they can offer wealth to to people's families and say you know we'll take over your son's life basically and you know join the madrasa or join the their you know um uh their their uh, institution of uh, of uh, of extremism and then they would just radicalize them yes and uh, even if they uh you know ex- uh, brainwash them to go and, and and kill themselves in suicide um that the, they would they would be able to provide for for the family they would say don't worry about yes. that so poverty is another issue so correct so that that's a saying of the prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said oh people spread peace mm. feed the hungry yeah. and pray at night when people are sleeping and you will enter paradise in peace so you know when this saying was um when the holy prophet some said this that feed the hungry because that's one thing as you just mentioned mm. poverty mm. is a key factor also sometimes you know which um links extremism that okay i'm at least getting food i can i'm someone surviving for another day mm. be it this way then and yeah. then there's no another thing with it which is education yeah. a lack of education that's a key factor for um radicalization also sometimes or or the love of something which is such a extreme level mm. that you you don't think about anything else or yeah. any consequences which will be facing around you just have just one focus on one thing say okay this is how it's going to be done so education love of something of hunger these are couple of factors which come into play into you know becoming a terrorism or something yeah. according right um we're going to look at this a little bit more as well um losing a compelling life story and the corresponding sense of purpose can also result from a variety of factors including personal failures uh, interpersonal rejection individual or collective grievances or social social alienation uh, people may join organizations that give them a sense of direction along with a sense of uh, uh, you know brotherhood in order to restore it Uh, so as a result by participating in such groups people can meet their basic needs to be respected by others create a new story be part of 
you know, a, something that is, you know, a fantasy or something that's, you know, um, exciting to them and gain the social advantages of being part of a group. However, uh, we'll continue to look at it, but let's speak to our first guest we've invited. We have uh, Dr. Joshua with us, who is a senior lecturer in criminology and counterterrorism studies. Uh, he's joining us on the line. Uh, good afternoon. Peace be upon you, Dr. Joshua. Thank you so much for joining the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam today. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, nice to be on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm in my office in Lincoln at the moment. Oh. Nowhere exciting. Lincoln. Okay. Very nice. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, sir. Um, so we're talking about the prevent uh, strategy. Uh, would you say that the prevent strategy has been successful in achieving its aim here in the UK? I, it's quite difficult to say whether the prevent strategy has been successful or not. Uh, and that's for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, there is home office uh, research that suggests that even they don't know whether it has been successful or not. So according to their own research, it says that they don't know whether 80 to 90% of the interventions have worked. Um, prevent is an extremely difficult arena to work in. It's extremely difficult to evaluate whether it works. And de-radicalization in and of itself is a very difficult process. So it's very unclear whether as a policy it's achieved what it's set out to do. But added compound with that is that the policy in itself is not always as clear uh, with the aims and objectives it has or that are set out in the policy. Well, but couldn't we say that if uh, the PREVENT uh, program has, say, resulted in, you know, 200 people have uh, not been or, or have not been radicalised, they have kind of, you know, um, come back to kind of their normal life as a result of prevent strategy or prevents efforts. Wouldn't you say that that could be a way to define their success or not? Uh, definitely a way of defining their success, the prevent strategy. Uh, whether it has saved 200 lives or not, we don't know because it's extremely difficult to uh, evaluate whether that is the case. Unfortunately, I think a prevention strategy is necessary, even if it's difficult to evaluate. Um, but unfortunately, we always hear about the case where somebody's gone through prevent and then they have still engaged in terrorism. So there's a failure of prevent. Um, so, but like I say, I do think a preventative strategy is important to have. It's just that question, how do we evaluate it to make sure that we can get some sort of value for money? Okay. Um why is the review of the counterterrorism strategy prevent so controversial uh, nowadays? Well, to say, I think, first of all, I think reviews of policy in general are not controversial. I think what you've got with prevent is you've got a very strong anti-prevent lobby who don't like prevent. They want it to be scrapped. And when Lord Carlyle was first appointed, he made a number of comments that were pro-prevent. And there was an outcry about this is this is a review that's going to be rigged. Unfortunately, him being removed from the review uh, led to the appointment of William Shawcross, and his, his views on Islam in particular, uh, them being uh, the Muslims being the fifth column, um, it's very problematic. And that comes through in the report where he has to uh, spend a lot of time talking about you know, is prevent about right wing extremism or Muslim extremism. 
And I think review therefore misses quite a few important points, which makes it quite controversial. And you know, um, as how has prevent you know when you um, find someone and you have to you look into people. Does does prevent um, cause a freedom of um, privacy also, or, or um, invasion of privacy? Uh, well, certainly. I mean, uh, prevent is all about identifying individuals who are mm-hmm. at risk of radicalization or who have already started to become radicalized, but not engaged in uh, terrorist and extremist activity, and that does mean that information, including personal information, is shared by the person referring the information to the you know, prevent officers, mm-hmm. but also between the different services who will deliver prevent interventions. So there's certainly an issue around privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know very little about how, what data is stored, how the data is stored, how long it's retained, whether that data is deleted once the case is closed, if there's no, no, no issues. So, yeah, there's certainly some privacy issues around the entire prevent uh, so what can be done to help this prevent strategy to become even better and what kind of approach should we take uh, against counterism? That's quite a big question. Yes. I mean, generally speaking, like I said, prevention is extremely important. Mm-hmm. The question that one has to ask, and I think the Shawcross report fails to answer that question, is what is extremism and at what point do we want to intervene? Okay. Um, without having a clear definition of extremism, okay. which we don't have, we have this vague definition of, you know, extremists related to British values, whatever they might be. Without that, and mm-hmm. without having a very clear idea of when we want to intervene, it's very difficult to design appropriate interventions. Perfect. So to my mind, I think there has to be a two-pronged approach. Mm-hmm. Which one focus about the very low level micro the societal issues that lead people to be radicalized. Mm-hmm. That needs to be, you know, basic things like teaching critical thinking in schools. It's not really terrorism related. Okay. But it allows individuals when they come across content online that is, you know, extreme, it allows them to see it and think, hang on a second, there's something wrong. Um, so it's it's about tackling those really root causing problems. There obviously also has to be interventions when we know that particular individuals are getting involved mm-hmm. that are more targeted at those individuals. What those interventions are is very difficult to say because we have very little evidence that de-radicalization works. Disengagement again is difficult because what you're what you're doing is you're saying to them, "Well, we don't like your views, but what we'd like you to do is." disengage from violence so okay. they walk away still having the same views but they're they're basically promising not to engage in violence so that again it throws up some problems how, how do we trust them are they really disengaging from violence in the future you know doctor with um trust also i wanted to ask do you know when you um disarm um these radicalized people or whatever sort they have become into a terrorism how do we know that they won't go back into it yeah, well, that's the good question. We don't, and there has been a number of issues, and the Short Cross Review talks about those issues mm-hmm. in terms of individuals who have gone through the prevent through prevent interventions, and then have engaged in acts of terrorism afterwards. Um, so again, it's extremely difficult. Again, this part of the problem is around communication. Yes, 
A lot of prevent has been privatized. It's being delivered by uh, individuals, and there's often a breakdown in communication between the different people working on various different uh, interventions. Um, and all those things really need addressing to be able to have a successful prevent strategy. And also, you know, doctors, um, I wanted to, you know, uh, how can we teach the young children or educate them regarding um, um, terrorism and the effects of it? So that they know that they are educated by this before um, being radicalized in, into some um, extremist. Uh, I mentioned critical yes. thinking, uh, a key skill. I mean, if you, I'm critical thinking, you can start challenging the things that you come across, the things that you hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's just about education. It's also about creating space where people can talk about views that they've got mm-hmm. uh, that then can be challenged. And having that space where they can talk about them without the fear of somebody uh, intervening and reporting you to prevent, let's okay. say. Uh, because without that open discussion, that open debate about, without the ability to talk about the problems, the issues that you face and that, that make you angry, I think it's very difficult to move forward. So it, it goes beyond education, I believe. Okay. And it can be economic, political. Mm-hmm education or whatever that might be so um just um, um last question i have you know um how can we for example let's say um someone has become is uh, is on a way to becoming extremist but he realizes it and he wants to put a stop into it how can he get help then how can they get help yes again obviously if they've been reported to the prevent program uh the prevent program will provide them with uh, support there's mentor schemes mm-hmm. as part of the event program i would always recommend that if there is somebody who's going out would who wants to get out of that area mm-hmm. area uh, arena to approach people they can trust uh, possibly speak to a prevent officer who can help them to leave that area it is never easy to leave uh, that behind so they do have to talk to like i say people they trust people they uh, that can actually help them through the process because it's very difficult to do leaving by yourself essentially. Thank mm. you so much, Doctor, you know, for joining us today and, and enlightening us with your wisdom words. Thank you. Right, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. 0208687778 is the number to call. You can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your comments um so you know in the beginning of the program you did make it very clear that islam means peace and there is no way that you as a muslim if you're a muslim that you you know uh, adopt a lifestyle or you commit such crimes that uh, goes against humanity it is just not possible if you are truly a follower Mm -hmm. of of, uh, islam as a religion However, we do find uh, that, uh, you know, people are radicalized and often Islam, the religion itself, which is a religion of peace, is used to um, to 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 radicalize people. And, and then it's not really the Islamic teachings. There's nothing in the Islamic teachings that radicalize people, but rather it is the uh, manipulators or the hate uh, preachers who or uh, radicalizer, you could call them, um, who uh, prey on on people who have, you know, uh, limited knowledge maybe, and people who have, uh, um, you know, people who who may not have full understanding of the faith, 
but are very dedicated. Um, they probably also use them to to misguide them and um, and and take out uh, verses and uh, uh, sayings uh, from the religion uh, scriptures out of context and then radicalize them. And that happens. We, we know that for a fact as well. But also, most of the people who are radicalized are not radicalized on the basis of religion, but mm-hmm. they're actually radicalized for other reasons that we looked at, whether it was like the need to belong to some something, uh, poverty, um, just uh, being part of something that's a thrill to, to them mm-hmm. or having some sort of power. All of these things uh, are more... Um, you know, uh, important factors in radicalization than actually um, related to to faith. I mean, that that's something that we see with uh, ISIS and Daesh and what w- was happening as well, particularly where one journalist who was in captivity um, in, in with with Daesh, uh, I believe, when he was released, he said that he asked them about the Holy Quran, um, that, you know, how does the Holy Quran support their actions? And they didn't even have a holy Quran there. They didn't even have a wow. Quran. Wow. So that just shows you that these people are far away from any... If they even had picked up the holy Quran or read some some part of it, they would no way uh, come to that conclusion that they should be, uh, you know... Uh, and it's just read the first line when you, before Surah Fatiha. Yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It's just your first verse of Surah In the name of Allah, the gracious, the, the merciful. merciful. Exactly. From so that you can see. If God is merciful, then you have to be merciful, merciful right? Also. As, as a Correct. follower of God, but yeah. You know, that's the, the word jihad is also linked you know, many times with terrorism. Yeah. And you know, um, His Holiness, as a Mizra Masur Ahmed, male strength in his hand, said, our jihad is not a jihad of swords, guns and bombs. Our jihad is not a jihad of cruelty, mm. br- uh, brutality and injustice. Rather, our jihad is of love, mercy, compassion. Our jihad is of tolerance, justice and human sympathy. Our jihad is to fulfill the rights of God and his creation. Mm. So this is the jihad which Muslims have to follow. Uh, love, compassion and looking after the Allah. Um, and Hukukulibad, meaning um, um, God's right and the right of His creation. So this is the actual jihad. What jihad actually? Jihad means struggle, right? Absolutely. So if this is the struggle we should be going towards, not towards you know extremism. So these are the things. Um, unfortunately, um, it, it does come um, with education also. So that's why Voice of Islam. That's why this. That's ra- why we have the radio radio, sta- here, uh, radio is being established, exactly. so we can spread the truth exactly. and the right word of Islam which is peace so, it, it, so that's what you know, today's prevention review um, topic and voice of Islam go hand in hand yep absolutely now um, Islam visualizes an association of strong and stable states allied together in the pursuance of peace freedom of conscience and the promotion of human welfare treaties or covenants between nations may have to be drawn up which should be done in a straightforward language and should not be evaded or repudiated under the temptation of securing some advantage. In case of difficulties and disputes, it is the duty of Muslims to bring about a peaceful settlement and adjustment. I mean, this is very similar to what His Holiness said in his recent peace conference uh, just, you know, uh, last weekend, Mm -hmm. where he talked about uh, that with the Russia and Ukraine uh, war, uh, that... Countries have a responsibility to be open to dialogue, mm-hmm. to be open to finding a solution rather than fueling war and, and you know, uh, 
putting down any efforts of uh, bringing about a dialogue and peace. And sometimes even, you know, we, we see that people are always, um, there seems to be countries that are always, um, you know, demanding that they will have it their way or, or, or not accommodating of any other opinion mm-hmm. of any other country. So that's, again, something that... Uh, the world needs to do in 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 uh, in pursuit of peace you cannot get peace if only the one uh, power or the one side of the world you know gets to uh, have their picks so that's how uh, world peace um, can be established i mean the holy quran teaches that god has sent his revelation to all people from time to time many of prophets of the old testament are mentioned by name and so is the name of Jesus, who with other prophets is honored and revered by all Muslims. Indeed, the Quran requires belief in the truth of all these prophets. Islam is thus unique and distinct in requiring an affirmation in all prophets wherever they appeared, and therefore it seeks to bring about reconciliation between the followers of different faiths and to establish a basis of respect and honor among them. The Quran says, Surely those who believe in the uh, the Jews and the Christians and the Sabians, whichever party from among those truly believes in Allah and the last day and do good deeds, have they shall have their reward with their Lord, and they shall not fear, or they sh- they shall not fear and they shall not grieve. Chapter two, verse sixty-three. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. You can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your comments. We're talking about the prevent review. Uh, we're also going to um, talk about uh, some uh, Muslim values. Uh, we have uh, presented before you some uh, verses of the Holy Quran, but we also want to play a uh, small clip for you as well that you can listen to. And uh, then we'll be uh, back after that. Peter, who is uh, joining us uh, um, on the line, um, he's also author of The Fate of Abraham, why the West is wrong about Islam. Good afternoon, peace be upon you, Peter. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much. Um, so we have been talking about how um, you know certain language has been used to stigmatize Islam since the 1600s. Um, could you perhaps explain how the term radical or and moderate are, are doing the same thing now? Um, is it... Uh, is it that important, the use of these words? Oh, very much so. And, um, yes, as I said in the book, I mean, for, you know, you go back to the Crusades and the language of Pope Urban II to see how Muslims have um, been demonized in the West. But what I'm... We, we have a contemporary uh, modern-day version of this in the language of the, um, the War on Terror as it's so-called, uh, with the construction of a, of a language uh, which uh, stigmatizes and classifies Muslims. Um, uh, and the, there are certain uh, key words here, um, and we very much saw them in the recent uh, Shawcross report into the prevent strategy. Um, and these are words which have really got to be used with great care. They're mainly neologisms. Neologisms, neologisms, namely that they've just been invented, um, and but not not in each case. So one of the, the one of them is extremism uh, or extremist, um, and this is a scare word. 
it's always been used uh, against people who um, upset the established order. They were the suffragettes when they were agitating for women's rights before World War One. They were denounced in the House of Commons as extremists. That term is now used, which is really means heretic, uh, people we don't like. It's now being used all the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's unscientific. It's quite impossible to define it, apart from the fact it doesn't conform to accepted uh, sort of norms. Um, another one is Islamist. It's a very dangerous usage. And, you, uh, and in the recent uh, Shawcross report, you saw it being very badly misused mm. because uh, it, it was used to define mod, um, sort of mod, uh, trends within political Islam, like Ennahda or the Muslim Brotherhood, which are, uh, are nonviolent, alongside ISIS uh, or Al Qaeda, which uh, you know which celebrate violence. Mm. Uh, and that's, this is a show, the, but it was a deliberate attempt, quite clearly. I mean, the, the people who wrote the Shawcross report aren't stupid deliberate attempt uh, to um, to conflate the two and noxious actually in its intention and its operation because lots of people take take Shawcross seriously yeah. then you get the um, term radicalization mm. which is ba- based on what looks like sort of some spurious scientific piece of um, argument uh, but people uh, by embracing Islam are going on, are entering on a route of so-called radicalization, which takes them from the blessed state of being moderate to the um, demonic state of being extremist. Now, this is, again, scientific mumbo-jumbo, but unfortunately, this piece of ideology, and that's all it is, it lies at the heart of the uh, current government's analysis on these on these subjects. Mm. The, the, the term that you use, Islamist, is that one really baffles me because... When I, when I read that, I, I keep thinking to myself, what is meant by that, you know? Islamist, okay, is that somebody who, who follows Islam or somebody who, um, who, who who claims to follow Islam and does something wrong? It, it is really very, very strange, uh, you know, thing to use. And you often see that in the media. It's, it's so easily used and so commonly used. It's commonly used because people think it's a respectable term. Mm. Um, and it's used throughout the, right at the start of the Shawcross report, it's one of the ways you can tell this is not a, a, a sensible document. In fact, um, you know, Associated Press, if you look at the, I'm a journalist, if you look at the style guide of Associated Press, it's very clear that, that it warns against the use uh, of Islamists because it embraces so many different ideas. I mean, every um, you know, every Christian is a Christianist. Every Muslim is a <laughs> every who, who follows Islam is an Islamist. And, uh, you know, Buzz, you know Buzz, Buzz, Buzzists are Buddhists. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 and it's a recently invented term. And it's a scare term, really. Mm. Um, and uh, I, um, it's great. Uh, and actually, the, look at the definitions of the international crisis group which addresses this matter it's really sensible on the issue unfortunately the people who are constructing british government policy at the moment uh, strike me as being ideologues uh, driven by a particular um distorted ideology about how to present islam and about religion itself actually mm. uh, not the subject right um we now wanted to move towards another issue which uh, uh you know um uh, 
many people might be you know confused upon i mean certainly when 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 i first learned about the prevent program i i thought this is something to 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 prevent uh, extremism or prevent uh, you know um terrorism in our country and in our communities but you've argued that the prevent program scars the childhoods of minority groups uh, why do you think that and what's the arguments for that yes now the first thing to say is that the priority of every uh, every government of any country is to protect the security of its citizens and if there is a a threat to the lives or livelihoods uh, of, of of their citizens it is absolutely right that the state uh, should um or should defend citizens the prevent program i think is is grossly misunderstood because the first thing to say about it is it's got nothing to do with illegal activity nobody who it's put on well in some certain cases which uh, which which aren't relevant here nobody who gets put on the prevent program has done anything wrong all they've done is said something uh probably or, uh, or maybe done something which makes them become an object of suspicion uh, and one of the reasons why i think it is so dangerous is so often it's children who uh the government is quite cagey about releasing it but it's it, it's very much focused about among young people in their sort of um, fifteen, much younger, Un- under cases. sixteen actually. Yeah, hmm. and um, but then we get then I get uh, put on the prevent program. Uh, often, you know, it's a long. You might be amazed. It's, a, it's about half a century since I was that sort of age. But as a young person, I was very passionate politically about many things. Now, if you're a young Muslim who says something passionate about Palestinian rights in a classroom. I, I, it, certainly it, it has been the case that teachers feel an obligation to report you. And now for me, as a British citizen who believes that we have freedom of speech in this country, to be put, made an object of suspicion uh, for, um, for, for, getting it, for making a political statement of that nature, it is very troubling and um, is against everything which uh, being British stands for. All right. And um, obviously Amnesty International have greatly criticized uh, findings of the independent review of Prevent claiming it is riddled with biased thinking, errors and plain anti-Muslim prejudice. What are your views on this? Is it is it that bad? I mean, are we talking about government level of uh, dealing with things? Well, I haven't read what uh, Amnesty, I must do actually, but mm. I haven't read what Amnesty have said. Have said. Uh, but it is the case that the government, um, Suella Braverman, who, by the way, gives no confidence to anybody who values uh, decency, fairness, um, and, um, and, a public, and the sort of values which British people would, uh, would would accept as decent. I mean, those, that, that use of time invasion, the deeply inflammatory use of that, um, the way in which he has responded to the Nosley episode tells you that this is somebody who is not on the side of fairness and decency. She's accepted. Uh, it makes me angry, this, as, a, as somebody who knows what it means to be British. We stand up in this country for the underdog, 
we stand up for fairness, but not not Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, clearly doesn't. She rejects those values, uh, but she's accepted the um, I think every single one of the recommendations uh, of the Shawcross report. Hmm. All right. Um, moving on from from that, uh, I think the the center of our discussion today has been. Um, Obviously, British values um, and and are they odds with uh, Islam, for example? I mean, when defining what it means to be British or British values are often, you know, how they're referred to. How far would you agree that they define our national identity that, say, for example, what uh, Winston Churchill would, would recognise? Well, the government has uh, produced a, a definition of what they call fundamental uh, British values, um, and I think it means standing up for tolerance, free speech, um, and, and the first thing to say about that: those are deep values, very decent society. The second thing is clear that the British government, the uh, Sunak government, has no intention of adhering to them at all, mm-hmm. and, it defends, and it defines extremism as being against British values. They are themselves, by their own um, definition, extremists. But I think the important, the biggest point I want to make here is that um, British values are generous values. British values stand up for minorities. The British are kindly people. We're on the side of the underdog. Uh, And on that basis, and also we give scope, and actually Gordon Brown, who was a fine prime minister of Britain uh, 15 years ago, made a wonderful speech about this, you know, that you can be gay and British, you can be black and British, you can be Welsh and British, English and British, um, Jewish and British. It, it, it gives you Muslim and British. Whatever, it, 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 you have multiple identities within the idea of being British. And actually what this, and there is no sort of, to quote uh, a great English monarch actually, but I'm going to include her as British for this purpose, Queen Elizabeth I. There is no such thing as windows in men's souls. You can have religious beliefs. Um, It's become a topical subject recently, um, which are against the mainstream and that's absolutely cool. Mm. And in that framework, British Muslims, uh, you know, m- m- a, a compl- uh, fit perfectly. In fact, that would be the, the really interesting thing, of course, is that polling shows that I think of all the various minorities in religious and otherwise in this country, hmm. uh, Muslims feel most British. In your book, The Fate of Abraham, uh, Why the West is Wrong About Islam, you pointed um, you, you point out that after the First World War, uh, Britain had become the greatest Muslim power in the world. That might surprise a lot of people, but how important was allowing Muslim values and customs to be practiced under the empire then? Um, <laughs> it's a very complicated subject, but generally speaking, the uh, idea which... Um, lay behind the uh, British Empire, as it did in, um, say, the Ottoman Empire, was that uh, you could believe or do 
um, whatever you wanted uh, within, um, you know, keeping the peace. And so it was, the British Empire was very um, tolerant of um, uh, of all minority, uh, all religions, not just, uh, including, generally speaking, uh, Islam. Um, and um, that, that, um, that rich inheritance, which was was the way of you know Winston Churchill formed deep uh, friendships with leading Muslim figures, and actually there were fears among his friends that he might convert at one stage uh, to Islam, uh, and that generous, capacious identity, which was part of the governing method really of the British Empire, didn't try to like the French did in Algeria, to insist that everybody should be French. Hmm. Uh, and that kind of led to the most awful murders and killings, as you know, in North Africa, in the, um, um, in repeatedly, actually, yeah. the whole series of, in the war, in the, you know, in the, in, when they invaded the country yeah. in the first place in the War of Independence and subsequent wars in which the French were involved. The British as a whole... Hmm. Um, uh, were, were, uh, were tolerant, I think, is the expression. Hmm. Yeah, that was terrible, of course. Um, all right, uh, Peter, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It was great having you on, and we, uh, we, we hopefully we can we can we can get you on, uh, speak to you more in the future as well. Um, I'd love to come on. Thank yeah, you, uh, really appreciate your pleasure. time. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So this was a, a pre-recorded interview from the show. Muslim values you know uh, when we, we we are reaching the last hour now uh, last few minutes we have left but you know um, one thing the Holy Prophet وسلم, uh, said peace and blessing for Allah be upon him is a true Muslim is he from whose a tongue and hand on uh, all others are safe from mm. from his tongue and hand so you know uh, um, for, for a Muslim we should you know when we um, go out we should be respectful um, understandable and then we should be educating people regarding the true teachings of Islam. That's why Muslim Islam, the radio which which has been established here yeah. in the UK, yeah. is to pro, uh, promote that very message out there. Exactly. Also, and you know, um, also um, one narration, um, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, said, you know, um, that the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as some um, Arabs came to him and one day asked, "Do you kiss your children?" And he replied, um, "Yes." They sh- and and they said um, we never kissed them. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, "What can I do if your hearts have been stripened of compassion?" Mm. He also said that Allah the Almighty has no mercy for him who has no mercy for his fellow beings. Mm. So you know, compassion, love is 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 it's in the core teaching of Islam. It has to be for you as a Muslim. Uh, you know, you you cannot be a true Muslim unless you do not uh, try to adopt these values. Yes. So that's the responsibility that is on every one of us, including, you know, Muslims, not Muslim. We have to serve other people around us. Now, coming back to the topic of uh, prevent review that we were talking about, uh, having said all of that, of course, everybody knows that the prevent programs needs a review. Yes. And certainly should tackle the issues, the root cause causes of why people uh, turn to terrorists mm-hmm. or why people turn to extremism. And those root uh, issues are that of poverty, uh, you know, lack of education, 
um, lack of opportunity, all of these things that are more important um, than 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 actually singling singling out you know a group of people. So that is something that needs to be a focus, um, yeah. you know. And and sadly, we see over the time funding to towards these causes of education, uh, you know, removing poverty is becoming less and less, and that's only going to make the problems bigger in the future. Correct. Uh, all right, we're coming up to the news. Uh, you're listening to Voice of Islam. This is the Drive Time Show. Join us after the news as we bring you these second topics. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam radio station. We've had a very interesting discussion on the Prevent Review just before the news. Uh, you can listen back to that later on uh, with our um, uh, listen, listening back uh, on SoundCloud, or you can check out our webpage uh, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier um, in the previous hour, that you can also give us a call if you wish to speak to us on, or if you have any comment that you would like to share with us here on Voice of Islam Radio, that you can do by giving us a call. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number. Now, <clears throat> in this hour. We're going to talk about the refugee crisis. Uh, obviously, the um, refugees who are fleeing conflict, facing discrimination, um, and uh, facing a very tough uh, future. Uh, you know, leaving their uh, their their homes, everything that they have, and then they also, on many times, you know, face hatred and. Uh, and uh, you know uh, struggles wherever they go. Last month, for example, a hotel housing asylum seekers was attacked in Maryside. Um, riots happened outside the hotel and turned violent, with some police officers getting injured during the disorder and a police van being set on fire. It resulted in the arrest of a number of protesters, and curfews were also placed. It also emerged that far-right groups had posted ads for such a demonstration to encourage people to demonstrate. Um, this episode in uh, Nosley came after a video was shared of a girl being harassed by a man which was attributed without evidence to this hotel. The refugees uh, residing in the hotel are made up of people fleeing the wars in places like Afghanistan, Iran, Syria, Sudan, Iraq, who hoped for the UK to be a safer place for them. Um, of course, when incidents like this happen, uh, obviously there might be individual cases where things happen and uh, people pick up on that, such in this case. But if, again, there was no evidence that linked this person to this particular hotel. And then everybody, obviously, the people who were protesting turned up and, you know, it was uh, a very difficult moment, I'm sure, for all the refugees uh, that were in that hotel. Um, one simple uh, teaching that we find in the Holy Quran uh, guidance is 
from chapter 7, verse 57, which says, And create not disorder in the earth after it has been set in order. And that applies both in the, for individuals and also communities and also nations, that we have to try to keep peace in the society. However, um, we will look at the um, the issues uh, of uh, refugees. Now, obviously, we know worldwide refugees are increasing and um, uh, with with the, the conflicts increasing, refugees will also increase. We've seen refugees do not just come from um, the Middle East or uh, countries that are far from us, but actually also Ukraine now. Uh, we have seen recently uh, a lot of people have, uh, are fleeing um, Ukraine and coming to the UK as well. So we're looking at that in this hour. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. Um, let's first speak to um, our first guest. We have uh, Mr. Muhammad Umar with us, who is Head of Experts by Experience and Partnerships at the Refugee Action um, Organization. So Mr. Muhammad is joining us. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Mr. Muhammad, how are you? Hi, thanks Thanks for having me. I'm good. Thank you. Um, anti immigrant views often you know stem from racism um you know uh miseducation or i don't know what you can use basically racism and and prejudice and things that people don't have knowledge of really um so how can we tackle the root cause of such uh, perceptions because refugees are increasing uh, because of the conflicts uh, that are happening in the world today this is uh <clears throat> Thanks for that question. It's um, and it's a very uh, important question. Um, and I think we're seeing this this actually currently taking uh, take, take, taking place within the government's new anti-refugee bill. Um, when we look at the uh, the bill that uh, currently is being discussed uh, um, in Parliament, the uh, anti-refugee bill two. We find that it's a cruel and unworkable uh, um, policy that will cause misery to refugees. Um, and when we look, we look closely. We find that uh, uh, within that policy, there is deep and glaring racism at the heart of the government's refugee policy that shuts and then locks the door on refugees from certain parts of of the world, like Africa, the Middle East, Afghanistan, and most of Asia. Mm-hmm. And and the real concern is the fact that um, the government wants to round up and jail thousands of refugees who have fled from these regions and remove their human rights just on on, on a whim. That that that's a that's a real a real concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this the terrorist <clears throat> policy uh, will never work because tiny minority of people fleeing war and persecution around the world have very powerful reasons to want to come here and that we can understand why they may have family they may have friends mm-hmm. or community and in in, in in this country and 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 closely related to uh to to, to the question is also about the responsibilities that leaders have and when we look at the Home Secretary continuing to use inflammatory language identical to that used by uh, 
uh, racist groups in the UK. Uh, it's just unbelievable and in, in, in my eyes. And, mm-hmm. and the problem is that that language is repeated through mainstream media and in social media. And that's very unhelpful and a real concern in terms of um, community cohesion. Um, and, 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 and I don't think and in any way it would be controversial to say that the governments and dehumanizing the people, uh, some of the people, and while targeting with some inflammatory and misleading language, when, when they want to rally support for racist policies. And, and when we look at history, we see lots of examples uh, and, uh, and of this. Um, so the real issue and, and is, is how can people want, how can people want to claim asylum in the UK? And remembering that claiming asylum in the UK is actually a, a human rights. And, and remembering also that it's a tiny, tiny fractions of the world's population that come into in, 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 in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is that the government has not addressed this issue. Okay. Instead, it's, uh, it's continuing to use deterrent policies uh, that will never work because they don't acknowledge that this tiny minority of people fleeing war and persecution around the world have powerful reason to come to come here and so that that's a that, that's that's a real problem so for me the key the key answer to all of this it's uh, is to to provide safe routes and we know that the government won't do it but what we must do is that we must give people leave to enter uh, um, the UK with the intention, if, if they have the intention to claim asylum, remembering that that's a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then uh, the government, in fact, they should enable a process that it's quite quickly to claim um, to, so that people can get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. So that, that's quite a simple, simple way of looking mm-hmm. at it. But, you know, um, when um, refugees come or migrants come over to the UK, especially, um, it does, that does not, not mean that their worries are over now, but being um, being able to settle here, being able to do a job here, being able to educate the children here, that's another process here. So how can we help them as hosts when they somehow manage to come into the UK and how can we manage to help them and guide them through that process? Yeah, that's that's the key. That's a key uh, that's 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 a key point actually, mm-hmm. and if we looked from that lens, and how can we look after uh, um, refugees coming to the uh, coming to um, the UK? Okay, what we'll get is we would get a much less less hostile and punishing asylum system. Mm-hmm. So we ma- we must make sure there's equity, and for example, for people that uh, are seeking asylum, asylum are not. Are not discriminated against because of where they they have sought asylum. Okay. And this means that uh, we must uh, making the asylum system accessible, whether um, that make, making sure that people are able to safely reach the UK to claim asylum, and and that our resettlement scheme apply to people from any part of the world and not mm-hmm. just uh, a select few. And this new bill. Um, targets people who are already discriminated against okay. and and because 
because they have no access to safe routes, which is which is almost any refugee, refugee fleeing from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's uh, that's quite problematic. So, in in essence, what we should be doing is we must look at the uh, asylum system in itself and overhaul, um, uh, overhaul and make it more accessible. Make sure that we speed up and improve decision making give people uh, seeking asylum the right to work so that they don't have to, to exist in poverty and isolation, support their language development, mm-hmm. and, and make sure their homes aren't unsafe or segregated. And 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 so that also to make sure they have access to uh, good mental health, uh, uh, mental health care. Okay. And you know, a question which can be raised here is, for example, those who come via boat from the channel crossing from France to the UK, can't they just go out to Europe and start start a life there instead of coming to the UK? Because they're already in Europe, so they have the safe passage there already. So why don't they spread out in the uh, in uh, all over Europe instead of coming towards the UK? That's the question which can rise up from this. Yeah, thanks. Th- th- thanks for thanks for asking me that mm-hmm. that question. And it's a, it's, a, it's a relevant it's a relevant question. And I think and I think it's important to link it link it back to uh, the. Uh, horrible anti-refugee laws that's been uh, uh, that that's been proposed, and we must we must ensure to call f- that to be scrapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the new proposed laws will introduce a new raft of new policies uh, okay. that will enable the government to discriminate against people seeking asylum. Um, so this include putting uh, putting people and and their families behind bars before deporting them, okay. and and that includes removing their human rights, uh, so they they aren't able to properly challenge what's happening to them, and it will mean uh, that uh, uh, they and their family will never be able to settle in 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 the in the UK. Or um, that that's that's the first thing. And what we also know um, that the 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 we must also overthrow. Um, throughout the last year's anti-refugee bill, which uh, which first meant that people mm-hmm. who arrive in the UK via small boat can be treated differently by the government with few, fewer rights when given refugee status and forced to flee uh, to wait longer for decision on their on their claim. So that's, uh, that's very unhelpful in, uh, um, in, in many ways. And again, <clears throat> government, government ministers, uh, um, they must drop the racist and inflammatory rhetoric, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is always used to dehumanize um, people. Uh, so that's more palatable when they treat them uh, appallingly. What do you um, make of the, the 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 press conference and the you know the thing that they had? Uh, uh, was it yesterday or two days ago? Stop mm-hmm. the boat was you know big writing on the on the dice uh, where the prime minister spoke. Uh, is that sure, kind of rhetoric that you're uh, you're alluding to? Absolutely, I'm sure you will agree with me that uh, that's uh, that that's very yeah. unhelpful. Yeah. That's very unhelpful, but also, um, also 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 if you look at the history and the background of uh, our uh, first minister and, and uh, home secretary, and having that that that, that image, it's quite uh, stark of what the UK should be standing for, and that's. Uh, uh, that that's quite problematic in uh, in in many in, in in many ways. Uh, I'm sure. 
I'm sure you and your yeah. the, the audience would agree with that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I mean, I was shocked when I saw that, and uh, just uh, in relation to what happened, obviously at the coast of Italy as well recently, like other times as well, where people are actually drowned, uh, just uh, to trying to to get away from conflict and. Uh, just to 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 very insensitive to just write it like that you know stop the boats it's it's just ridiculous i can't even believe that <laughs> that really was uh, was uh, the face of uh, our government unfortunately um all right uh dr mohammed thank you very much uh, for joining yeah. us uh, it was great having you on our show i know you have to go so you're, thank you for you're your time. welcome thank you so much thank Take you care. all right bye Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Saad, I don't know if you saw it, but it was it was very it was shocking the the rhetoric and the language that's being used, mm-hmm. uh, as if talking about this is like some kind of invasion or you know. Uh, it it does uh, fuel to the you know it adds fuel to the hatred towards uh, refugees towards uh, people who are fleeing uh, wars wars that are happening because the countries here, the Western countries, are directly involved in those wars or indirectly involved in those wars. They are the ones actually who are also contributing to why people have to flee their homes. So mm. I find it very ironic and very strange that uh, you know uh, politicians can use such uh, inflammatory language against people who are uh, fleeing an extremely difficult situation. Nobody's happy to, you know, just one day leave their home, everything they have, right. and sit on a boat uh, which uh, crosses, you know, the, the channel or the sea, uh, which is very turbulent, cold waters, you know, yes. uh, very little uh, protection from the elements, and uh, and and there's no guarantee that you'll make it. Right. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, it's really close to him also yeah. with this very topic. When you mentioned drowning, one of uh, my relatives um far relative um he tried to come via boats to uk to um, to, um leave the persecution quite behind in pakistan but unfortunately it's been about 10 years now we don't know where he is but you know i'm always respectful and thankful to red cross especially you know the work and the effort they put into search but they found uh, the last point where people said yes he was here but after that they said we don't know what happened after that he was on a boat but I don't know which. You know, there was a massive boat um, which um, drowned a couple of years back, right, mm. like ten years back, I think now. And he was. Uh, they say he might he might be on that very boat. Sorry to hear that. Yes. So you know, this very mm. refugees topic is um, very close to heart also. But you know, if I look from the other side also, let's say if I'm against yeah. refugee um, refugees coming into in the UK, mm. then you know I'll be like, okay, why are so many people suddenly coming into mm. my country? Mm. What is the reason? Obviously, all these questions which needs to be answered so that when they are coming into their country, that they are welcomed. Mm. So they have the safe passage, as um, um, Mr. O- Muhammad Omar mentioned, a safe passage or safe um, gateway should be created for the refugees to come through. And likewise, you know, His Holiness has a al-Masih, the fifth, may Allah strengthen his hand, said that there should be a check done on the refugees which are coming through. And you know, in in 2018, uh, in the annual convention in Germany, he mentioned um, a story about a, a, a girl um, who was a captive in Iraq or Iran um, because of war, and she saw that the, the captive was walking free in Germany. And you know, there should be a background or something um, to make sure that okay, who is coming, who's ever coming through, that they are actual refugees, not someone who has been 
um, radicalized or crimes or, or crimes or, or, or somewhere yeah. in back in the country and just fleeing because for their own safe passage. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, it's it's such a difficult topic, isn't yes. it, to, to talk about? Because uh, you know, you mentioned your far relative who who, who most likely is 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 a lost uh, yes, you know also. life now. And uh, similarly, you know, thousands and of refugees, hundreds of them, they had their relatives. You know, they were brothers to somebody, yes. sisters to somebody, their fathers or or sons of somebody. So, uh, as a human race, it's it's quite, uh, you know, uh, disturbing that sometimes there is so much uh, hate or so much uh, prejudice and um, ill thinking of of people mm-hmm. uh we we never seem to think that what's their background why why are they you know risking everything that they have uh, jumping on a boat uh to try to come uh and create a better life for themselves Correct. you know that's why there, there should be a safe passage yeah. created so that the posts where they're coming into and the refugees where they're going into both know okay what's happening at mm. least and this is how they're getting set to, for example, when some work uh, migrants come into UK, mm. they're not allowed to work for X amount of years or they can't do anything and they have to live in hostels or um, some rundown areas. Mm. And this is, uh, I, unfortunately, that's the truth. Yeah. We think that okay, when, when migrant refugees come here, then it's all good and that yeah. they can, there's, it's a go ahead now. They have the visas, they have the passports, they have the um, um, nationality, for example, to say that they can do anything now. But obviously, there's a, a very long process, mm. and they struggled on, on to meet um, their day's um, needs. And, and I, I know people who have been coming to Europe, and they had to survive on about one euro or five euros a day. And you know what is one euro or five euro now? Mm. It's, it's you can just get a milk bottle or something just to survive for that day. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So, so these things, you know, they have to be put into consideration. Also, that a safe passage. For both the host and the one who's fleeing, so that a mutual, um, peaceful environment can be created and a society can function. Because when when you have tens or fifteens of thousands of uh, mig- um, refugees coming into a country, yeah, then obviously there's that's a small havoc there. Anyways, how do we deal with them? So they suddenly just you know, cram them in, into spaces so they are okay. They have their um, residence somewhere, but obviously if you have this. Um, a system in place beforehand so when let's say a event comes of such so they know okay this is the uh, system they have to follow yeah and this is how they should work yeah and then i think that might help out absolutely um his holiness hazam uh, the worldwide head of the md muslim community said during the peace symposium back in 2018 that as a result of recent terrorist attacks and widespread immigration to the west there has also been a dangerous rise in nation- nationalism in many western countries evoking fears of the dark days of the past i do not dispute the fact that it is the responsibility of governments and the leaders to look after their own people and to protect their interests of course however policies that are based upon Selfishness, greed and readiness to forfeit the rights of other human beings are wrong and a means of sowing discord and division in the world. So His Holiness, you know, made this clear in 2018, some years back. Mm-hmm. So the us versus them sentiments, uh, you know, these things, as you mentioned, give rise to racism, discrimination and anti-immigration views. Uh, research uh, shows that the experience of migrants uh, when they come to you know countries 
they face a lot of, uh, you know, hate. Uh, on average, 16% of migrants in UK uh, or Great Britain said that they would describe themselves as members of a group that is discriminated against in this country. A number of refugees have also raised their voices against the hostilities that they face upon arrival. Of course, there have also been instances where refugees have misused the help provided to them. Mm-hmm. They must, uh, they might have not acted in the right way, but they should not be dehumanized. I mean, again, there are refugees, perhaps people, uh, immigrants coming from other countries with different cultures, so it does take time to Indeed. adapt. However, uh, I think... Um, there is a responsibility also on them to try to adapt as quickly as possible and to mm-hmm. learn, um, you know, the laws of the country and to abide by them because that is very important. That is a responsibility upon them. However, there is also responsibility on the host uh, nation and people that they should be also accommodative and show a little bit of patience and uh, maybe try to help the individual understand how the laws of the country work yes. and how things are. Like, for example, even with that... Uh, you know, the, the, this clip of this uh, refugee or my uh, my immigrant who was talking to a girl mm-hmm. and that was spread on social media, created a lot of, uh, you know, um, a lot of people to be very angry that, you know, a girl is being uh, harassed or something like that. In fact, you know, proper investigation into that was, was needed. And yes. uh, also, uh, of course, if that person did something uh, wrong or said something wrong, then that he should be explained to, he should be told that this is not how you do uh, operate or or, or or behave in, in this country and you know this this is the law this is what you should do um, and of course there's a responsibility on that person as well to change it's a responsibility on him to 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 uh, be cautious to to be respectful yes. and to uh, to understand that he's come to a country which has given him refuge so responsibilities goes both ways indeed uh, and education is 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 uh, very important there now that's what his holiness the fifth minister in his hands said that and anyone who's migrating to a country should be thankful to mm. that host country exactly. and you know and obey and obey the laws which are of the land so this is the thing which has which um, you know, the guidance and the clear guidance and instructions which His Holiness Hazrat Masih the fifth may Allah strengthen his hand is giving out to the world and that's why you know and this book um, especially um, I would recommend everyone to read is the Great Western Revival these are addresses of His Holiness um, Hazrat Masih the fifth may Allah mm. strengthen his hand and you know he gives you such a good insight and how we can develop on these current issues ref, be it refugee be it um, a migration or be be, be it the prevent um, um, this, um, strategy or prevent review which we were talking in the first hour yeah. uh, this are the insights which His Holiness is speaking about uh, on, a, on a daily basis and giving keynote addresses throughout the world and for example be it um, Denmark Germany mm. or USA um, so these uh, that's why you know this book when I was reading it and when I was coming to today's show, that's why I just grabbed my book and yeah. came in. And that's why I'm reading out, you know, um, extracts from here um, time to time. Absolutely. Um, His Holiness uh, also has said in one, on one occasion that uh, all genuine refugees should be helped by governments and international organizations. They should be allowed to settle in until peace is restored in their home countries. Mm-hmm. However, this is an important point. I mean, exactly. You know, you mentioned that case in Germany, wasn't it? Where, where yes. Uh, there were two refugees. One was the girl who One, was in captive, captive, and then those people who who, who kept her captive. One of the One that of the person was, was, was also there, working free. Yeah. 
So His Holiness has said that, however, it is also important that the authorities remain vigilant and monitor the refugees to ensure that extremists are not allowed to settle under the guise of asylum, under the, you know, the... Uh, the the title of asylum, so that is something. Well, look, I mean, if there's many refugees coming in, there has to be checks in place. But mm-hmm. sometimes even checks are there, and if something, you know, is missed or, you know, sometimes people might slip in who 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 are not, uh, you know, uh, qualified or entitled. Uh, entitled, sorry, entitled yes. is the right word. So entitled to asylum, mm-hmm. or then of course there there has to be a follow up. There has to be a you know a uh, vigilance uh, on that uh, the monitoring the you know uh, people how they are behaving how they're uh, they're uh, living in, in in the country so it's not just that you let them go and then okay now they're here just you know yes. just no need to worry about it you have to also be vigilant right. uh, that is uh, also very important now uh, we're gonna go to our next guest we have uh, miss if the psalm uh, Adem with uh, with us, who is uh, Ibtisam actually came to the country as a refugee and is now is now a youth worker and a local counselor in London, and is part of the Migrants Champion Network. Uh, so we're very happy actually to have her on. Uh, Miss Ibtisam, thank you very much for joining. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to the Raptum Show. Thank you for having me. Um, you know firsthand what it is like to arrive in a different country as a refugee. So. Um, what kind of challenges did you face during that time? Um, there were many, really. The first thing is navigating essentially uh, the immigration system, uh, claiming asylum, the whole process of finding solicitors, the home office, the statements. It was just a whole um, new way of getting ahead around it basically the i spoke english well but still the system was very challenging so that was very scary and isolating time Um, struggled with homelessness Uh, accessing accommodation was very difficult i came over 18 so i fell short of that underage being able to get the support so it took a long time um, to find accommodation. I was homeless for a couple of years, moving from one place to place, which was very, very difficult. Mm. Um, finding job was extremely difficult, even though I would be applying for jobs that said, you don't need any experience, any status, but I was 22. So when I applied, they would say, well, how come you're 22 and you have got no experience? Mm. And um, when I would write my CV, I came here with a university degree, but Nobody recognized that university degree or the schools. It was difficult finding references who could um, you could put on your CV to go apply for jobs. It was extremely frustrating and very um, yeah despairing time. So the system of uh, of uh, of asylum or, or the system of uh, of uh, immigration. How how would you say it was? Was it effective? Was it you know does it need to be uh, massively improved? Then it was effective because I came to this country during the previous Labour government. So there was legal aid available for most services, for caseworkers, interpreting services. So people coming here had enough hours to find solicitors. Solicitors were were funded so they could look after people. They can give them time um, with the interpretation services. And the processes were quite Quick, I came, I claimed asylum, and within a month I had my status. So things 
where the asylum system was working effectively, I could say, compared to what it is now. And how long was that? Uh, when was it that you came then? A couple of years? In 2002. So I came oh, a long time ago. Oh, okay. It was a long time ago, during yeah. the previous Labour government, yes. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that was a very quick uh, process. I mean, one month uh, is is now obviously it takes uh, six months at least or maybe a year yeah. or two years for people yeah. to... Yes. Yeah. Um, so you now work as a as a local councillor. So what do you think authorities can do to support migrants, asylum seekers, so they are not, you know, feeling that they are left alone? Um, they should be welcoming and they should have services that are that meet the asylum seekers' needs. Um, local authorities, for example, where I am in Lambeth, uh, work with uh, community groups such as uh, local church, mosques, schools, health professionals, businesses and charities to support um, asylum seekers. Um, language barrier is one of the key challenges that asylum seekers or migrants come into the country face, so provision of ESOL classes so people are able to learn the new language so they're able to have a bit more agency so that I can access services. Um, and a good thing to do, I am a migrant champion for my local authorities. So um, local authorities, be, it's very important to have a migrant champion as a way of showing commitment to supporting migrants in general and also to be as a point of contact for those migrants. Mm-hmm. Um, Local authorities uh, make sure migrants are included in all of their communications as residents. So pictures, for example, for local activities include migrants. Um, they should ensure local migrant-run businesses are able to bid for contracts or council work and offering assistance in navigating the tendering processes because we're talking about not just the ones that came that have been here for a little while as well and they need support integrated into their local communities um, and I think including migrant organizations in all council processes and consultations we um, Lambeth has uh, become a borough sanctuary so we've been working with a lot of community and charity organizations and people with lived experiences so they can shape policies and feed into how the council um, services so it's meeting the needs of uh, migrants and asylum seekers mm-hmm. as um, she's yeah, mentioned there's a, lot, there's a lot they can do yeah they can campaign on the core issues of human rights and you know and they could also make hate crime a priority in community safety mm-hmm. so as you just mentioned um you're a migrant champion and you know the, the communities are out there to help them so what should a migrant do when he arrives in the uk and how do they navigate to those um, communities or get help from uh, someone like you who is a migrant champion? Um, so I do, as a migrant champion, I go around the different uh, places where migrants are housed, mm-hmm. especially these days, where the uh, place where they're in hotels. So we go and check on them, making sure all they have a legal representation, their health needs are met, their um, welfare children are in those places making sure those children are able to go to school mm-hmm. uh, we run um, activities like uh, children what's it, family learning so parents and children together where they can um, learn and it's just a, a way out and yeah l- where they can both learn language together cook their own meals mm-hmm. and 
be supported by members from the local community. So there you get them, we're getting people embedded in the communities and um, making sure the young people going to schools have got adequate uniforms. If there's children coming with special needs that they are adequately supported, mm-hmm. any mental illness. So going in there, so not waiting for those asylum seekers who don't know where to mm-hmm. start to come and find you, proactively going to where wow. they are and find identifying the needs and trying to meet the needs is how we do it. And oh, that's how that's it's a uh, more effective way of meeting their needs. No, that's really great, you know, going um, around and being the one to offer that helping hand to them. But how can we remove that perception and fear that people have surrounding refugees? I think it's how we frame um, messages mm-hmm. about how how we talk about refugees, how we talk about migration, um, just, uh, you know, be, being positive about migration, uh, being positive messages about diversity, um, about uh, not to remove fears about people that we don't know, um, highlighting commonalities and our humanity is important. And also doing local and national campaigns with themes of welcoming, mm-hmm. so having events in the local community celebrating diversity with statements of solidarity. We run activities during Refugee Week in our libraries, uh, schools and children's centres with themes of migration um, and children's stories so children can learn about migration, families can learn about it. And then, so yeah, you can, it's how you tailor your messages, how welcoming it is and framing things in a positive light, seeing the benefits of welcoming people, providing people sanctuary, but also um, seeing the addition and the benefits uh, they bring to your community. That's really good. And, and you know, you should already answered that question that um, you're being proactive and um, going around areas where migrants are based. But um, anyone listening to today's um, radio show, um, if you can just tell them um, any guidance or any help they can get in, in so um, they can sort out their issues here in the UK. Yeah, I think um, find out what's happening in locally. It's quite difficult to, um, if the not uh, local charities or organisations actively locating and helping people. Mm. Um, but if, like, depending on your faith, go to the local mosque, go to the local church, and when you go, children would be going to school, I guess when you're in a local authority, so in school as well, ask for help, what support is available. There are communities, schools have all governized to support refugees. So just ask for help, not to be afraid to ask for help. And there are people who are always willing to help in the community. Perfect, thank you. Uh, lastly, if I may ask you, the approach uh, from the government, obviously, we, we know about the Rwanda plan, yet not a single person has been sent there apparently uh, still. And then now, obviously, the the way that they are talking about stopping the boats uh, and rhetoric like that uh, how how do you feel as a as a as a previous refugee uh, about how the uh, the rhetoric and the language that's being used by the politicians and i assume maybe that's obviously for the votes but still uh, for other human beings who are fleeing and refugees it is very sad uh, that we see some this kind of language being used. Uh, what do you feel when you hear and see in the news? I feel, I feel angry. I feel 
Yes, but it is also, I understand it's for votes, but people can see beyond that. It's a distraction. It causes an awful lot of anxiety, especially for those asylum seekers. And it is illegal, potentially illegal, what they are doing. Um, but we need to be able to see beyond it. It's a distraction to cover up for the failures of the government. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we should despair, we should uh, unify, and we should fight the government's message, and we should be yes, uniting to fight the government's um, rhetoric, the government's cruel policies, calling it out for what it is, and uh, support support uh, provide support and solidarity to asylum seekers in all of the communities that we are they've been placed in some remote places just to go and find out if there are any um, arriving in your local community and offering support um, is very important okay thank you very much uh, for joining us Ibtisam uh it was great talking to you thank you very much for your time thank you very much Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. You can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your comments. Uh, we are also asking you to check out our Instagram page. We actually were um, asking you uh, a question there. Let me just get that out. Um, we were asking you about the previous hour. Uh, what is the biggest terrorist threat? Where Where does that come from? Does it come from groups or does it come from individuals uh, or also known as lone attackers lone wolf Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call uh, you can also tweet at uh, voice of islam uk we're gonna play for you a, a clip of his holiness the worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community the caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community uh, this is from an address he did in germany in berlin um, where uh, he discussed this issue. So let's have a listen to that. In the world today, particularly in Western and developed nations, there is a great deal of heated debate about immigration and its effect on societies. <clears throat> Much of the debate centers around Muslims. Certain governments and members of the public fear a clash of civilization and believe that Muslims are a threat <coughs> to their society and cannot integrate into the Western world. Before responding to this contention, it is important to define what exactly is meant by civilization. In this regard, I present the definition given by the second head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which I fully concur with. According to the definition, civilization is the material progress and development of a society. <coughs> Factors that indicate the strength of a civilization include its economic progress, the level of technological innovation, the advancement of the means of travel and communication, and the intellectual progress of the society. Furthermore, the efforts of a nation to foster peace 
and stability, whether by virtue of the law enforcement and military proficiency or by other means of, is also a measure of its civilization. <clears throat> Separate and distinct from civilization is a nation's culture. Culture is a manifestation of the views of a people, their attitudes towards social issues and their practices, and instead of being based on material progress, culture is rooted in morality and the religious values and traditions of a nation. <clears throat> Thus, civilization is the material, technological, and intellectual development of a society, whereas its culture is based on the religious, moral, and philosophical makeup of that society. The difference between civilization and culture can be easily understood if we look back to the early period of Christianity. At that time, Roman Empire was at the peak of its powers. And even now, it is considered as one of the greatest civilizations in the history of the world. Due to their material prosperity, urbanization, and the way its territories were governed, the Romans were considered to be tremendously civilized and educated. However, their sophistication did not equate to higher standards of morality. Rather, it was during the early period of Christianity that their people were infused with a progressive culture. Christianity gave people guiding principle based on religion and morality, whilst the Romans prescribed uh, worldly laws and limits. Hence, the progress and advancement of the Roman, uh, Romans reflected their great civilization, whereas Christianity gave the people a laudable culture. Over time, Christianity became the predominant religion of the Roman Empire. And so the culture it established was adopted by a great civilization. Allied together, their supreme influence laid the foundation for the values and traditions that remain, uh, that remain today in the, worst, uh, in, the, in the West, despite the fact that people in the West are now moving away, away from religion. Regarding the debate about immigration in recent decades, the demographics of several Western countries has altered. Immigration, immigrants have arrived from many countries but it has been the influence, uh, uh, the, the influx of uh, Muslims that has caused most concern and alarm. <clears throat> Many 
indigenous people fear that mass immigration from Muslim countries threatens their civilization, culture, and values, which have existed for many centuries. As I have explained, we consider civilization to be the material progress and advancement of society. And rather than disapprove, oppose, or deny the growth and development in the West, developing nations seek to emulate it. As a result, rather than Western civilization being cast aside, we are seeing the opposite. Due to the modern means of travel and communication, the world has become a global village. The advent of television, the mass media, and particularly the internet have meant that nothing now remains hidden in the world. And so people who live in economically deprived countries can see how those uh, uh, how those in affluent nations live. They, sh they are being influenced by Western civilization and desire to attain similar levels of material advancement and innovation. Thus, the assertion that Western or European civilization is threatened by the presence of Muslims does not hold water. listening to the Voice of Islam radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Draft Time Show here on Voice of Islam radio station. You're joined by myself, Safir and Saad. Um, in 2018, a survey led by two UK universities uh, and then later on published by the EHRC showed that 70% of Muslim participants experienced religion-based prejudice. 64% of people from black ethnic backgrounds experienced race-based prejudice. And 10% people surveyed did not agree on equality for all groups in Britain. Now, if you're just tuning in, we're uh, talking about the refugees uh, who obviously fleeing conflict uh, then uh, are now facing discrimination as well um, because of uh, their circumstances uh, because of uh, you know the rhetoric sometimes used by politicians against refugees and uh, migrants um, around one in five uh, people who were surveyed uh, they said that they feel uncomfortable with an immigrant or a Muslim neighbor uh, that's within the UK so again it shows that there is reservations there is many underlying you know issues that needs to be solved uh, many with such views pinpoint criminal events involving a certain group to justify these views. And these statistics, combined with the lived experiences of many people, show how there are reservations and fears surrounding immigration. Now, about the role of immigrants, His Holiness Hazem Isa Masood Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, said, 
For me, true integration is to love the country in which you live and to be completely loyal to it. Thus, all immigrants should be loyal to their adopted nation. They should truly love it. They should honor it. They should be law-abiding and work for its prosperity and progress. This is real integration. I mean, that's the responsibility of the people who come to these countries. We talked about this, right? I mean, yes. Who give you a country that gives you the chance to start your life again and being safe from conflict. It's a great blessing. Right. And we should always be thankful for that. I mean, right. you mentioned your family's background, you know, my family's background as well. You know, as many uh, from our community, uh, people who have fled from Pakistan and, and uh, other countries, Asian countries, uh, whether, you know, because of persecution or other issues that they had, they have come here, you know, some recently, some way long uh, time yes. ago. But we have to always be very thankful and, you know, uh, we're very lucky that we have, uh, you know, and grateful as well to, to the countries that are, have given us a chance to practice our religion uh, freely, you know, live and work and uh, earn a living, provide for our families, plus also to uh, get education and things things that are luxury in, in, in compared to countries that people mm-hmm. sometimes come from. Correct. So again, there's no denying that one has to be grateful, one has to be, uh, uh, you know, hardworking and try to give back to the country that you have been uh, adopted in. But on the other hand, it is also, uh, you know, important and there is a responsibility on the countries and the people as well to be loving, to be accommodative and to also be patient uh, with with that. I mean, if we look at refugees and immigration, uh, people <coughs> don't tend to focus or, or the <coughs> media would not cover this aspect, uh, you know, with the same uh, efforts and uh, strong uh, desire that there are so many immigrants so many refugees that are working and really creating that workforce in in these countries yes uh, whether it's in the nhs or whether it's like in 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 work and labor where um people in the uk themselves do not do those those jobs that you know immigrants and people refugees are coming are doing Indeed. and even you know after brexit those those issues have been highlighted even more oh, with, yes. the, with the lack of uh uh, workforce. workforce, lack of uh, uh, certain uh, staff and uh, and manpower in in certain you know fields, it has indeed, been indeed and also with um, exportation from the UK now, it's been really difficult for 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 work uh, for farmers especially mm. in this climate. But obviously, leaving this all to the side, it's going to get we're reaching the end of yeah. today's show. You know, for refugees, uh, one thing which His Holiness has mentioned is that when they come. They should um, that the that the imams and the clerics of um, in Muslims um, they should be raising this voice and telling them that when they come here they should um, remind remember this that that this is a second lease of life and the opportunity to raise their children in a country that is free from war and disorder and so it is incumbent upon them to value and cherish their new homes mm. but also in the, on the other other hand if if you look that. To reach that, yeah. also they have to struggle. I've seen yeah. my parents when they when, when they moved here, and obviously uh, getting the nationalities, the passports, whatever that might be, and getting yeah. work here. That that was a that's another that's whole a story. Struggle, yes, that's yeah. that's another struggle when and you I, come and here. And I think uh, you know we as as a family and as a, a human race, mm-hmm. we're dependent on each other, and the world Correct. is not you know. The world is everybody's, basically, right? You cannot say that you know, that person cannot come here, that person cannot go there. 
because at the end of the day all are human beings we have rights you know we have uh, a responsibility to each other as islam says correct and i think that's something that his holiness has highlighted as well um you know regarding this he has said that to blame immigrants for all of a country's problems is entirely unjust and the truth is that mm-hmm. many wealthy western nations would be at grave risk without immigration correct the reality is that all nations are dependent upon one another and that we are now living in an increasingly interconnected and globalized world instead of seeking to build barriers or to isolate ourselves it is essential that nations and people of different backgrounds cooperate and work together for common good yes so you know, as as he has mentioned we have becoming we are becoming to a global village now that everyone is linked to i can call someone up in australia in the next few minutes and have a meeting with them or someone in america and have a three way meeting from from both far ends of the world mm. and you know so that's why you know we can't just um take away all the um the things which ha- which the refugees are providing us here in the uk absolutely uh thank you very much uh f- to all our listeners uh, for joining in we would also like to thank the producers for today's show aroob anwar ruhi yakub and fazia haq and uh, nonetheless we would like to thank our guests who joined us as well as well as all of our listeners uh, today you're listening to voice of islam radio station join us tomorrow for another live program